As the saying goes, defense wins championships. And many times, it also wins court cases. I'm a Venice, California-born, Los Angeles-based sports fan. One that has played, coached, announced, and promoted sports my whole life. My love affair with sports started in my own backyard and has led me to this podcast. Thanks to the support of the Amateur Athletic Union in East Bay, I'm excited to bring you Sports Stories with Denny Lennon. Hello, sports historians. Welcome to audio, video, podcast, episode number 34 of Sports Stories with Denny Lennon. This is part three of our series with Loyola University of Los Angeles graduate and the lead attorney for the defense of Loyola Marymount University in the Hank Gathers case, Wayne Bowley. If you missed either of the first two parts, they're available on our YouTube channel or wherever you listen. All links are available at sportsstoriespodcast.com. Let's say hi to the producer of the top video podcast in the Sentinel Adobe Corridor, my official quarantine partner for life, the director of the SSDL slate of live at five shows, the setter for the 1990 CIF Southern Section Championship Notre Dame Academy volleyball team, Christine Jimbo. You went deep in the vault for that Mm -hmm. one. Okay, I'm here to remind you of those three things. Be sure to check Twitter, Instagram, YouTube for our giveaways and promos. And you can find us using these three things. Sports Stories with Denny Lennon. That's Denny like the restaurant, Lennon like the beetle. At Sports Stories DL. And info at sportsstoriespodcast.com. Those are three ways you can find us and rate, review, repost all the things mm-hmm. that you like on each of our channels. Absolutely. Follow me on Twitter at Sports Stories DL. If you don't have a Twitter account, it's easy. You're going to want to get one because there's going to be some fun stuff coming up there. So from our first couple episodes, we've learned that Wayne was an outstanding athlete growing up. He may have faced some trouble now and again, but he seemed to have the mentors and friends in place to help him along this journey. In this final installment, we discuss Wayne's role as the lead attorney for LMU in the Hank Gathers case. The story of the 1990 LMU basketball team captured the nation's heart. Hank Gathers, along with his best friend from Philadelphia, Bo Kimball, had transferred from USC to join head coach and fellow Philadelphia native Paul Westhead, yep, the same coach who led the LA Lakers to an NBA title just 10 years earlier. Now that 1990 LMU Lions team led the nation in scoring with a revolutionary up-tempo style of play. Then they tragically lost their leader when Hank Gathers died on their home court before the NCAA tournament. The team banded together to miraculously advance to the NCAA regional finals, knocking off the defending champs along the way. Wayne Bowley, an all-conference guard from the school's basketball team in the 1960s, had built a distinguished career in law over the next 30 years, and then would be called on again to defend for the Lions when the Gathers family sued the school. Now it's time to conclude the three-part interview from the 7428 studio in Westchester, California. It's part three with Wayne Bowley. Please note this interview was recorded on March 2nd, 2020. Now I wanted to move a little bit into um, some of the uh, I- items on the Hank Gathers case. Because we were there the other day and watched um, the statue get put up. Um, 
it was really a magical time at Loyola. That that season, those seasons those actually. Westhead was there for like five years, and he and he had a good team most every year. Coach Paul Westhead. Yeah, yeah, they were they were uh, representative, but obviously not as as good as they were when when he had his system and he had the right players to run it. He had the right players, yeah. Um, and his system was something else. Yeah. I mean, would you, would you have liked to play in that kind of system? No, I don't think so. Yeah. Now, I was a real good defensive player, mm-hmm. and I one of the re- I was smart. One of the reasons I played, I could shoot, and I was a good defensive player. wasn't a good ball handler, but uh, I could shoot. And this was, this was no zero defense. Right. They uh, were so. encouraging you to score quickly right. so that you would tire out. That's right. And they yeah. did all their training right in, uh, on the dunes of Manhattan Beach That's there. Right. right where they could they could have got caught for holding beer <laughs> down in that area if they were yeah. if they were as careful. As they don't put it in the purse yeah. of their girlfriend. <laughs> exactly. So um so they're in tremendous shape and and that's really exciting. And Gersten Pavilion is is selling some tickets and they're putting Correct. up big numbers. So I mean there's a lot going on there. And um and, and when when Hank had those problems that wasn't too public that you, you definitely knew that you know you didn't know that he had had that i guess it was in the news but i know when he died it obviously the rest of the country oh, yeah. went wow um and then for you know bo to shoot those free throws left-handed and for the team to you know go on and still have victory throughout i mean that was a really you know emotional time so i could imagine once the family went to look for damages against the school that was a downer yeah, it was um, uh, it was not unexpected, mm-hmm. um, but certainly because of the love the school had for Hank and and vice versa. You know, don't forget he had spent one or two years at USC, mm-hmm. both he and and, and Kimball both, mm-hmm. and for some whatever reason they were not. Either they didn't fit into that program, or yeah. they didn't like. I think they changed where the coaches, program maybe, or something. They did yeah. change because they had their their friend from Philadelphia, who at one time was an assistant coach at Loyola. I can't remember his name. Mm-hmm. He actually brought him out here. It was all Philadelphia connection. Westhead's a Philadelphia guy. Correct. Yeah. Correct. And yeah. That so that's what made the landing spot at LMU work for those two. That's correct. Yeah. That's correct. It was a it was a it was a good fit. Mm-hmm. And then, um, um, the other players that. That Paul had recruited. I mean, Jeff Fryer made a living off of shooting threes, wide open threes. Um, and uh, the, the the other guard who came in is Terrell Lowry. Mm-hmm. Terrell Lowry was Lowry. on that team, and one of my best, one of my teammates' sons, was on that team. But he was a redshirt; he did not play mm. that year. Brian McCloskey, who ended up playing the next year, uh, he was on that team also. So. It was fun to go to. I had season tickets. I was not there in December when he had the sinkable episode. I had given those tickets, ironically, to um, my, my high school teammate that I was talking about earlier, Tom mm-hmm. McPherson. He, his son, uh, both of his sons went to LMU to play tennis. Mm-hmm. And so I'd given my season seats to him for that game. And his youngest son has a, a little heart anomaly. Mm. And Hank goes down on the floor in December. In December. Oh, wait a minute. I'm wrong. He was there the night he died. Whoa. The December tickets I'd given to somebody Some, else. Somebody else. He was but, there in but, March. But Hank had that episode in December, I think, at Gersten, right? That's correct. In Gersten Pavilion um, is, is his name. And then um, 
But this, when Hank died, was in the conference championship game, I think? No. Semifinals was, or something? It was in the quarter quarter or semifinals against, I believe, Portland. Yeah, um, Eric Spolstra was on Portland's team. Isn't that wild? Against, yeah, against, yeah, against Portland. Yeah. And um, uh, what, what uh, 90% of the public doesn't know is when Hank went down in December, mm-hmm. they took him out of the game. Sat him down, took him back to the locker room, and couldn't figure. They could really, they realized his heart rate was up, but didn't realize what was the cause. They put him through um, a battery of tests to the point where they advised the school that he cannot play anymore because they could not determine what the defect was. And when I say that, I say it because. His heart rate was incapable. They were incapable of getting it up high enough on stress treadmills, on running around a track mm-hmm. to see where the defect in his heart was. They couldn't. They couldn't. They, I see. He was in such phenomenal uh, condition. He, was, he would. He would like condition before games and stuff. He was. He was in phenomenal incredible condition. Incredible condition. Yeah. And they couldn't. They couldn't do it. So he wasn't going to get to play. And okay. that, that was the initial decision of the medical. I see. The medical staff. Okay, so this leads up to um, what may or may not have been all kinds of things. He may or may not have taken the medication, um, so on and so forth. But once he does die, I think the family has four major charges. And they had, um, was it Bruce Fagel? He was their attorney. He, 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 um, I looked at his um, Facebook site. He yeah. looked like an interesting guy. Interesting guy. Yeah, former, he's a doctor and a lawyer. It's a doctor and a lawyer. Right. Okay. So the gathers, um, Sue claimed that, one, that Wes had induced Hank's doctors to reduce Hank's dosage of Enderol. Two, the doctors did not properly monitor the effects of gathers on the lower dosage. Three, that the Loyola Marymount team doctor, school doctor, team trainer waited too long to administer life-saving procedures after he collapsed. And four, that perhaps gathers should not be playing basketball at all. So those are... That's is that the, those, about right? Those those are the allegations in the in the complaint, and mm-hmm. um, and uh, those are the ones that we had. To, uh, some of those obviously were I was representing the school, mm-hmm. the coach, the athletic director who was my teammate, right, and the trainer, and Chip Schaefer. Chip Schaefer. Was those, Chip Schaefer the one who played at Pally? No, different one. Okay, no, a different different Schaefer. Okay, and, but he was the he was the Boston Celtic trainer. Oh, wow. Chip Schaefer. Okay. And also Laker trainer. Wow. Chip Schaefer. And then uh, Brian Quinn, athletic director at the school, but he was a teammate of yours from Correct. back in the day. I was a sophomore. He was a senior. Okay. And I t- actually t- I taught him how to play volleyball. Mm-hmm. He turned out to be a good volleyball player. Um, so. And, and what, what were the particulars when they were filed a $32.5 million lawsuit or something? That's correct. Okay. $32.5 million. Um, and what surfaces after the... the um, unfortunate death of Hank Gathers is a child mm-hmm. that nobody knew anything about. Mm-hmm. His name was Aaron Crump, I Aaron believe. Crump. Mm-hmm. That's right. And he was six years old. And Hank was 23, 23. Yeah. So he had yeah. this kid at 17. Right. Nobody knew about him. So now he surfaces <laughs> as an heir, and he gets in the lawsuit with another Philadelphia lawyer. Now, Westhead's Westhead's friend, one of his best friends, college team, uh, college classmate, was a guy named Richie Phillips. 
Okay. Richie Phillips was the uh, Major League Baseball umpire's lawyer. Oh, yeah. That's, he was okay. always in all those big arbitrations. And I would be getting, I'd get calls from Richie Phillips <laughs> at four in the morning, our time. Right, because he's, he's getting, at seven o'clock in, yeah. in Philadelphia, <laughs> and he'd yell and scream about, "You got to get Westhead out of this case. You got to do this. You got to do that," and, fi- and he'd start swearing on the phone. And I funny, I'd hang up on him. I'd say, "Richie, I'm not going to talk to you. You're going to talk like this." And it got down to where one day we had a three-way call, and and I and, and I will never forget this. I said, "Richie, explain what he thought should be done." I explained to Paul what I thought should be done. And how, and Paul had to make a decision, and he chose to go my way. Okay. And I, and Richie's now he Richie has passed on, but he actually got fired from the if I remember correctly, from the Major League Baseball part of the steroid stuff. And I don't know what it was what it was mm. about, but I remember. Yeah. He was their lawyer for a long time. Yeah, a long time. Yep. And okay. uh, so the case had a whole lot of tangents. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the medication was one thing. Uh, the issue of Paul Westhead telling them, uh, calling the doctor to change medication. I can I can tell you what happened there if you want to hear sure. that. What happened was he he was put on a program. Hank was, mm-hmm. and and the contract because he had to sign a contract that he would abide by this was he would wear a heart monitor during the week of practice, okay. and then on Fridays. He would go in f- for some sort of a test. Contract was with the doctor, with uh, with uh, Daniel Freeman, okay, and Michael Millman, and one other physician whose name I can't recall. Mm-hmm. That he agreed to do this, and the school agreed to do it. Mm-hmm. That they would get him you know, to to the doctor's office. So this is going along. This happens in December, so roughly first incident in December. So it's like r- January, roughly, February. Roughly, no, not even that late. Mm. Roughly in December. After they had figured out what they could do to get him to play, mm-hmm. um, he signs his contract, and everything is going along okay. And what the deal was, they put him on a dosage of medication that made him like a 13-year-old kid, lethargic, couldn't move. You know, he wasn't fast. He was, but it was, it was the effects of the medication. Indrol. So, I, I don't even remember whether it was Indrol or not. Okay. But at the end of the week. What they were doing was they were they had a test which I know nothing about, but they had a test that would allow them to reduce the medication. Mm. So um, the objective was to observe these test results and get to a point where, because once they knew where the defect was, which they finally figured out through a test that that um, off the record I'll tell you about. Mm-hmm. Um, um, once they figured out what his problem was, they needed to get to a point where it was a non-lethal issue with the right dosage of medication. Got it. So they kept reducing it, reducing it. They had a trip. It was a very important trip for Hank Gathers. They went back to Philadelphia. Yeah. They played St. Joseph's and Villanova. Two schools, his hometown, everybody was there to see him, and he was awful. Oh, he God, was awful. I, I kind of remember that. Yeah. He was awful. He, he came in the locker room after the game, after one of the games, and sort of th- grabbed lockers, was throwing lockers on the ground, was screaming and yelling. And this is a part of a public record. And he, he yelled out, 
I ain't taking no more fucking medication mm. in front of Westhead. <clears throat> so, mm-hmm. that night, Westhead calls the doctor. And as you know, doctor's notes, they have notes, and these notes came during the pendency of the litigation or became an issue, and they were discussing um, what the doctor, Melman, I think it was Melman, had written as to what West had said. West had called him and said, Doc, I, I can't play him. He's not, he's like a 13-year-old kid with this with the medication he's on. Can we, can we change the medication? Now, and I, and I may not be quoting his exact words, but what, what he meant by that was, is there something different that we can give him sure. that's going to make him a better player? And, and the doctor's response was, if we were to do that, he'd have to start all over again uh-huh. at a higher dosage. So no, we're, gonna, we're leaving it right where it is. And of course, they, they pick up on that, where the coach was demanding that they change the medication yeah, uh, or, or take him off the medication, well, and, which was coach. not true. He's not, a, he's not a doctor. Which was not true. So, um, um, you know, I guess only you know, God knows what really happened mm-hmm. that day. But uh, the experts, the experts were um, of the opinion that had the medication continued to be taken, mm-hmm. this would not have happened. I see. So he. More than likely. Oh, yeah, but I, what I, did, I really didn't get into the juicy part of the story, which is what cost uh, one of the doctors $1 million, and that was this. His treating doctor was a, a, a guy that I know. He's a, actually a good golfer. His, na- uh, his name was Hattori. He was mm-hmm. the heart He was the heart guy. And Did he be Jerry West in golf? No. Okay. No. <laughs> oh, now he might be able to. So um, Friday comes. And Hank doesn't show up for the test at at the hospital. The Friday before the conference tournament, or the, the, no, they played Friday like, and Saturday. Okay, it was Friday, Saturday, oh, Sunday. Oh yeah. So he, he doesn't show up for the test on Friday, which is part of the contract. Mm-hmm. The hospital or the doctor calls and says he can't play. Mm. Westhead gets the phone call and calls Hank in the office. Uh, Saturday morning, calls him in and says, Hank, what the hell is going on? You can't play tonight. He says, what do you mean I can't play tonight? He said, you didn't go in for the test yesterday. You've been doing it all these weeks, and now all of a sudden, he says, I was so busy, coach, I had things going on. And he said, Hank, you can't, he says, I'll take the test right now. Call him. I'll go shoot over there. I'll take it right now. Calls the hospital. The hospital says, all of our technicians that run this test, whatever it was, are gone. And uh, if you want to do it, we have to bring in another whole unit, and it's going to cost the school about $30,000. And there's no way the school is going to pay for that. Right. So Westhead said, is there any way that we can be, he says, let's get a hold of his, of his heart surgeon. So they get a hold of the doctor, the heart surgeon, and he is leaving for Palm Springs, for a bachelor party and a wedding. Who's leaving for that? The doctor. <laughs> okay. All right. Okay. And well, well, Hank got out there too. Hank, Hank begs him, 
you know, you got to clear me to play. you got to clear me to play. And he said, let me look at your previous week's tests. Oh, boy. So he looks at the previous week's tests. I see. And he, and he says, and this is what cost him $1 million. He said, <laughs> this is on the record. I'm going to be out of town. I'll have my, my assistant. It's the guy that you need to call if you need to call him because I'm out of town this weekend. I'm leaving. He said, but if you feel your heart start to race oh, during the game, take yourself out of the game. Oh, right. Like that's now, believe it or not, believe it or not, because I lived with this for years, it's, it's, it was sound medical advice. It, it, it was okay. Based on the testing and based on him taking the medication, okay. it was okay to say that. But as a result of that, uh, he ended up uh, wow. paying $1 million. And um, what about to the point that the um, <clears throat> care given at Gersten was, was you know, substandard? Or... Yeah, it was... Um, there was a few sides in that, issues on that as to what what do we do, how do we do it, when do we do it. This was all discussed after the first syncopal episode back in back in uh, December. Mm-hmm. And it was decided, and probably rightfully so, and if I'm not mistaken, the medical evidence was it, it would the, the time that it took to get from the gym to the to the um, uh, training room mm-hmm. to administer the defibrillator. Is that where the defib was in yes. the training room? Yes. Time to get there would not have made a difference. Hmm. That was the that's my recollection of what the hmm. testament. Now, of course, plaintiff was going to argue differently, but the decision and the, people don't think about this. The decision, if I'm not mistaken, there were the night he passed away. There were at least two other minor issues with people having fainting spells or from observing him on the floor. Oh, I see. I see. Okay. Okay. So their their thought process was if we paddle this guy in the middle of the of the basketball court and you see, you know, and it's a you know, you see a body, the body jumps, it's a you're going to have you know, of the 3 3500 people that were there. That's going to escalate. You're going to have you're going to have other issues. So Everybody was trained and stuff because I know yeah. I know even at the, that Jim eventually Schaefer. I don't know whether it was that case, but that certainly brought notoriety, but even when I was an athletic director in high school, we had to go through that same training, know how to use what was in effect a carryable defib machine. Defibrillator, yeah. yeah. No, and and Chip Chip trainer Chip Schaefer was trained in in the use of that um, uh, uh, medical uh, piece of equipment. Yeah, and I found that interesting that that the family was like we were traumatized by the way they carried him off the floor. And I thought, how else, you know, are you going to carry him off the floor? You're not going to bring a tent out and a golf cart. Yeah, it was, it was, it was a sad thing. The family, I think, eventually reconciled with the school, with Westhead. Yeah. You know, they look during the litigation phase. They have to do what is yeah. in their is in their best interest. But we had videotapes of his mother holding up signs during the course of the game go Hank Hank you're the best and her testimony was she told Westhead she didn't want him to play mm. please don't play my son yeah that's I, I don't I don't want to and, and that's that's part of the it's part of it the legal legalistics uh, uh, of, of how and 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 I and I get it I understand it you know it's an it's a thought one thing I've learned in 48 years of practicing law before I became a mediator I've learned is 
is the mind is an amazing thing. Two people can look at a at an accident site, non-party witnesses, and see the same thing, but yet testify completely differently. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's just it's. Um, and the more the amazing. stories told, the more that may come to light and then be remembered as real. Correct. Correct. And so it expands, and then sometimes you don't have the real facts. But where I was going with that point was, the more you convince yourself that's what you saw, the more inflexible you become, even when it becomes obvious that you didn't see it correctly. Mm-hmm. You just, you just, you stand by your, by your principles. You stand by what you saw, what you observed, and uh, it, um, it's, it's amazing. We interrupt this podcast to bring you a commercial from our sponsor, Casablanca. Casablanca Restaurant in Venice, California. Proud sponsor of Sports Stories with Denny Lennon. Also sponsoring the Facebook Live at Five Friday show. Margaritas. That's right. Carlos is kind enough at Casablanca to uh, package up like a to-go, what they're selling, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, to-go. What, what is in it? It's like that taco it's bar. daily deal. He does basically a taco bar with... Two different meats, beans, rice, uh, tortillas. It's fantastic. Brilliant. And then you throw in the margaritas with that. And if you watch our uh, Friday show, you'll see that we cheers one another. He sends one over to uh, Venice where Marley and the Rices are hosting part of the show over here to the 7428 studio. And where any we do local it. guests. And any local guests. Doug O'Neill. Benefit as well. Doug O'Neill, the uh, Triple Crown winner, horse trainer, is a new big fan. So, you know, thank you, Carlos. You can call Carlos. At 310-505-5091. Again, 310-505-5091. Call Carlos. Ask him for the Sports Stories with Denny Lennon special. He's going to throw in margaritas or a big percentage off. Vámonos a Casa Blanca. Vámonos a Casa Blanca. Vámonos a Casa Blanca. La comida para la familia. Vámonos a Casa Blanca. Vámonos a Casa Blanca. And now back to our interview. School was um, 32.5 was what the family was looking for. And I think the school's insurance company picked up 545000 kind of It wasn't very that, much. I, right? I, I can, if you want to hear the story, be sure. the back story on that. They fly me up to San Francisco. Mm-hmm. And I'm meeting with all the prefects, all the insurance people, all the excess insurance people. There's probably 15 people in the room, and I spent and I spent 45 minutes trying to convince them to let me vindicate the school. Yeah, you said, but on a personal level, I would have liked my clients vindicated by a jury, right? Because I believe they would have been. I wanted to vindicate the school, the coach, the athletic director, and the trainer, and I thought I could do that, um, and. Uh, they asked me what it would cost to vindicate the school, and I gave them a number. I forget what the number was. I'm, uh, I probably said something like $1.6 million. And they said, what can you get, what can you resolve this case for? And I said, I would hope I could resolve it somewhere between four and $700,000, mm-hmm. which is about half of what it's going to cost them to be vindicated. Yeah. They met for about 40 minutes, I sat and out, and then he called me back in, and they said, we are in the process of trying to raise, I don't know, 
180 to 100 million dollars for for buildings that are now built in the last <laughs> in the last 30 years. We don't want the adverse publicity. Your job is to get the case settled. So I did. Okay. All right. Well, <clears throat> um, and it uh, took 30 years, um, but there seemed to be a lot of love uh, all around the uh, statue being unveiled. Um, Mom had a very emotional moment in front of the uh, statue, but then the family, you know, took the picture, and it certainly is a beautiful statue. Same um, same artist or sculptor that did the Elgin Baylor one at Staples. Oh, is that right? Yeah. It it, has it's, a, a, it's a picture of him holding a ball in one hand, isn't mm-hmm. it? I mean, a statue. Yeah. Yeah, so it's 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 really uh, it's beautiful, and um, then the team was recognized during halftime. Um, the team that was playing wore the throwback uniforms, which was kind of fun to see those unis out on the court. Oh, they did. Yeah. Oh, cool. that was kind of fun to see that. And then they lost. They lost to you. They did. Lost by two. Two points. Yeah. Um, Good game. And Gersten, I found I don't remember it being. Uh, I forgot that I, one side is like <coughs> basically the red. And then the other side is blue. So everything up on the wall on this side, even the banners are all blue. And everything up on the wall and everything over here is red. It kind of it's got a nice aesthetic to it. Yeah, that looks nice. And they're and they're in the process of raising money to. Um, I don't believe they're going to be building a new gym. I don't know if we have the space, but I think they're going to expand this one somehow, some way. Gersten the second, I guess it was Gersten the first, who the gym was named after, and. Gersten the second Gersten, right. was he like friendly with um, Hank or something? Because I saw him in the paper a lot. Very much so. Yeah, friendly with uh, most of the kids on the team. Did that create problems for the athletic department? It 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 did and it didn't because it it really never came to light as to um, whether he violated any of the ethical hmm. rules of okay. um, of you know giving gifts where they weren't supposed to be given. Um, so that never really, never really materialized. Okay. Uh, his depot was taken. Yeah. Um, and uh, I mean, there are so many depots taken in that case. Um, it's it's nothing new in in collegiate athletics for for a booster for boosters to be involved. It just was. I found it interesting when I kept seeing the name Gersten pop up because I I thought maybe not so much the guy who put up, put up the money for the gym. Yeah, no, it, it's uh, and and he did put the money up for the gym, a large yeah. portion of it. That's why the the, the gym yeah. is named after him. Yeah. Um, okay. Last uh, one thing, and then you got to answer a series of questions, Wayne, no because problem. you're going to be on the stand pretty soon here. Good. Okay. Good. Um, but can you tell me a little bit about? You've been a longtime member of the LA Athletic Club. I found it very um, exciting that the U.S. Opens coming that way. No, no, I've never been a member of the LA Club. No, never? Los Angeles Country Club. I, I'm sorry. Different facility. So I, I, yeah, you know why I wrote my notes to me, LA Athletic Club, because of how much I go there because it's an AAU thing? That's right. And so the, the Los Angeles the, Country the, Club. By the way, the, the, I think the Hathaways are the ones who own the LA Athletic Club. They also hmm. owned at one time Riviera Country Club, the golf course. That was their yeah. country. And then they sold that. The Japanese, I think, have bought the, the Riviera Country Club. So, yeah, the Los yes. Angeles Country Club Miss, is, is, is but, where but I play L- golf. Uh, LA uh, Country Club. Right. And um, uh, I've gone out there a couple times with you. had awesome time. But um, I found it really interesting because I remember they're always very private, if you will. But now they're, they're going to host the U.S. Open. Do you know how that came to be? I sure do. Uh, when I joined there in 1980, mm-hmm. every single year, the PGA would come and ask to get a turn and it would be voted down. I am now the old guard. I was the young guard back in 1980. Mm-hmm. And as a 
as a as as an old guard, um, they didn't want it. Didn't want the publicity. Didn't want people to know anything about the course. And of course, times have changed, and the and attitudes have changed. And the young guard is now the old guard. Uh, loves the idea of people seeing our course and seeing it and yeah. as as a uh, we had the Walker Cup there, right, which was right, held right. just a couple of years ago, and as a kind of like a test to see how it went down. Now that's not as as widely known, obviously, as the U.S. Open, but then the board voted uh, to approve this. Now, uh, just as a side note, uh, if we had to vote again, I think I would vote against it. Is it going to take your Tuesday golf it's date gonna, away? It's going to it's going to tie up our golf course for much longer mm. than anybody even dreams mm. that it's going to uh, it's going to do. But I, the curiosity, that the the intrigue, yeah, for me is to see what they score on the course that's U.S. Open. That, to me, is fascinating. You know, that, that, that's going to be great. And also, it, for it's almost like um, getting to see behind the curtain for the rest of the country because you hear about the Los Angeles Country Club, but not everybody yeah. has got a chance to really see it's what pr- it looks It's like. ranked number, I mean, for a course that's over 100 years old, it's ranked um, like number 16 in the country. Yeah. And... Uh, there's no water on it. There's water hazards, but there's no water that's unless right. it rains. Unless it rains, that's so right, it's it's an right. interesting it's an interesting it's an interesting course a design course, and you can play. It's going to play 7,500 yards, and I believe that if they, if they cut the fairways in, which they're going to do, um, and they speed up the greens, which they're going to do, that the scoring is not going to be uh, as as easy as as people think it's going to be because this is in the tradition of the u.s open too yeah 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 that's that's going to be great i'm I'm predicting i'm predicting four to five under wins the tournament okay so nice all right yeah i'm gonna tag that one um so we talked about your boy mike uh being a very successful volleyball coach um at loyola high school having won i forget the six section titles six four six uh, four four or five states yeah um now your boy danny has had his share of success at the L.A. Um, Country Club. Yeah, very. Right? He's a, he turned out to be a very good golfer, and um, could he beat Jerry West? Or? He could no. probably beat Jerry West. Today. Oh, okay. Now the re- revenge has a he sweet beat taste. Him today. Okay. You know, you know, Jerry is a uh, an interesting guy. He's a very good friend of mine, and he's a perfectionist. Mm-hmm. And at one time in his in his life, he was a plus three, mm. which is a real good golfer. Really good. He actually quit playing for six years, never touched a club mm. because he could not deal with shots that weren't going where he wanted them to go. And and uh, uh, it's, it's fascinating because now he plays the game for fun mm-hmm. and he's much, much better mm. at it. Uh, you know, he gave me a copy of his book, West by West. Oh, it's unbelievable book. I, I couldn't read it. I started. It's it's rough. I couldn't read it. I didn't. I didn't want to know about the demons. When when he when he was young, geez. yeah. So I did. I didn't read the book. I read some twenty pages of it and said, I don't. I don't. I don't need mm. to read this. But um, I, I see him probably two or three times a week. He um when when I told you about that time he came to Archer and uh, he was so forthright. I, you know, the plan was I was going to interview him and ask him some questions. So I read the book and so forth. And but he goes, I wrote some notes. And so I wasn't involved much at all, but I sat there fascinated because he, he spoke so much from the heart about 
what it was growing up like he did, you know, dealing with depression, yeah. all the parts of his life. Yeah. He was so forthright and, and transparent. It was fascinating to watch these young people who were really in, in the area to watch him because their dads and their grandfathers went, Jerry West is coming whole, you know, right. Yeah. But anyways, um, but he's if, such a wonderful, if you're a friend of his, he'll give you the shirt off his back if, if, in time of need. And, you know, if I, if, it, if I ever needed him to sign anything and, and just bring it in, no problem. He's, if he, if he's a friend of yours, uh, he's a friend for life. And I will tell you one, if I can tell you one Jerry West story, which, which is, which is a funny story. We're playing golf at LA on the South course and we're playing two guys from playing two people from um, from Bel Air, and we're playing for a substantial sum of money. That Sunday, the day before, we played on a Monday. This day before, the one and only time in the history of golf, mm-hmm. a PGA Tour player won a tournament putting one-handed. Okay, I don't remember this. His name is Mike Holbert. You can look that up. Okay, the only golfer ever to win a PGA tournament putting one-handed. Now, Jerry and I were playing these two the golfers from from Bel Air on the South Course at LA, and I got a number of shots. One of the other persons got another shots, and then Jerry and this other person were close. Anyway, we we get in the first hole, and Jerry knocks it on the green. He's 15 feet from the pin. He misses the putt. He gets in the cart, and we're driving to the second tee, and he goes. I can't make a putt. God damn it. I, I, I can't make a putt. I'm, I'm going to putt one-handed. And this is on the first hole. This is after one hole. After one hole. And I said, Jerry, I said, you're fine. Don't worry about it. We'll be fine. So from then until the 18th tee, he threatened to putt one-handed eight times after missing birdie putts. And we get to the 18th hole, and the match is dead even, and the winner is going to win like four or $500. Okay. So uh, we're dead even. I get a shot on that hole, and one of the other persons gets a shot. I get up, and I hook it out of bounds onto Wilshire oh, Boulevard. Okay. So I'm done. You're done. So it's Jerry against the two of them. He hits a great drive. He, he, he knocks his – well, the other guy hits a ball much shorter than Jerry, lays up short of the green. He gets a stroke. The other person knocked it in the trap, left it in the trap, left it in the trap, picked up. So now it's the stroker against Jerry. The stroker's on the green, 30 feet from the pin, lying three. Mm-hmm. Jerry's on the green, 35 feet from the pin, lying two. So if they both two-putt, we end up tying. He puts one-handed on the last hole. Got a feeling he knocked it in, didn't he? Four-putted. <laughs> so we lose. We lose. We lose. We, I take him out to the parking lot. He opens his trunk, he takes his gloves <laughs> off, he puts his gloves in his trunk, and I go, uh, hey, I go, hey, Jer. And he goes, yeah. And I said, <laughs> I said, Mr. Clutch my ass. <laughs> and he said, screw you, and got in the car and, and, and drove off. Uh, and that's a dead true story. I love it. Um, I got him, the day he showed up that day was the Golden State Warriors, who he was consulting for, had won... The 70th, 72nd game, 73rd game to break the regular season record. They broke the Bulls record for most wins. Oh, yeah. Um, but it was also the morning <coughs> after. And so he came back from San Francisco, and it was the morning after Kobe's last game had when dropped 60. 
And so he, he came. I, by he, the way, I was at Kobe's game when he got 81. Oh, 81? You read there. that game? I was oh, there. Oh, man. Now, that one, they had to come from behind and I everything. I was there. Uh, that team is awful. Um, Toronto, I think <laughs> yeah, it was. Yeah, Toronto. Um, and Jerry West goes, 50? He got, he got 50 shots? He goes, you give me 50 shots? I dropped 90 easy. <laughs> well. <laughs> Crack me up. People don't, I mean, you know, because he's a real good friend of mine, and, and I think he's one of the best ever to play the game, two things I would say about his 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 playing level as opposed to his managerial level, but because he has skills there too, mm-hmm. no no one evaluates talent yeah, better sure than does. this man. Um, but if you look at films of him playing, he could bounce the ball with his with one hand, right hand, and move it to his left and back again and go up faster than any human being mm-hmm. I've ever seen, and get open. He played, you know, his second year in the NBA, he averaged 27 points a game, no three-point shot. No three-point yeah. shot. No three-point shot. I mean, he would have been close to one of the top scores, four yeah. scores if they had a three-point line. I mean, it, it was unbelievable. He, what, what was it, uh, 59, <laughs> I guess, or something? West Virginia lost. <laughs> he lost with them in the finals of the NCAA, and he's just like, not a day, I don't think about it. And but he got MVP there, and then he also got MVP of a series. Yeah, at only uh, losing player. Correct. To ever get, get NBA and and I and I think in college too, which shows how much people thought of him. Well, now here's a trivia question for you: In the history of basketball, everybody knows that the only player ever to score 100 points in an NBA game was Will Chamberlain. Mm-hmm. There has been one player to score 100 points in a college basketball game. Oh, was it that Rick Mount or something nope, like that? Nope. The guy in Indiana? No, nope, no. Nope. And he was a teammate of Jerry West on the Lakers. Emoff? No. Who? Furman Frank Selvey. Scored, oh. scored a, he went to Furman University. Furman. Scored 100 points in a college basketball wow. game. And Nobody knows about that. No one, no, no one. That's a, that's one of my best trivia questions. It <laughs> is a good one. <laughs> Nobody knows that because normally I can get those. <laughs> All right, here we go, Wayne. Yeah. You're in the chair. I'm in the chair. Here it comes. All right. Do I have to Best tell the truth? Yep, you do. The whole truth and nothing but the truth. So <laughs> whatever, help me God. whatever. Okay. You know, don't let the, don't let a, you know, uh, a myth get in the way of a good story. All right. Um, best opposing player you ever competed against? Do I, do I have to guard him, or is this on the court? <laughs> yeah, you're on the court with him. Okay. I uh, probably I would say um, one of two, either. One of three, either Erwin Muller mm-hmm. for USF, Ollie Johnson mm. at USF, mm-hmm. uh, or John Rudimetkin uh, at USC. Best uh, teammate you ever had? Best teammate I ever had would have been, um, I've had a number. I, I'm going to say two, one of two. I'm going to say um, uh Ken Peterson or Brian Quinn or Detroit Flanagan, one of those three. <laughs> Detroit, three. I like those guys named after a city. Most memorable comeback you remember uh, playing? Um, most memorable comeback in high school was against El Segundo at our gym, and we were down by like 12 points, came back, uh, came back, and with... 18 seconds to go in the game, 
they threw the ball to me in the corner, and I went up to shoot it. We were up by one, and the coach was yelling, No! No! <laughs> and I shot it, and it went in, and he said, Add a baby. Nice. My most memorable comeback. Nice. Um, on that note, I, I'll say it because uh, your boy was coaching, but Vaughn, Stephen Irvin team that they were on at Loyola High School, I think we're down in set five. I was there. At Newport Harbor. Newport 14 Harbor. 9 or 14 no, 10? For, no, it's actually 14 11. 14 11. 14 11. On 14, the 11. But, yeah. the, I mean, the, I remember every play the way it goes. Your son blocked the ball. Uh, that was wild. Zoppy blocked the But, but yeah. Irvin's going back to serve. He, he jump serves like a he jump served, machine. And he was 50% during the year. Yeah. So I said, it's over. That was some kind of it's comeback. Over. That was a great, great um, comeback. What would, what would have been your most memorable win? Uh, in basketball, uh, sure, volleyball, any, any sport. Oh, what sticks out in your mind? Gosh. I mean, the, uh, VBC. Well, my obviously, most, <laughs> we know that, but outside my of that most one. memorable win. Uh, I mean, uh, I, Richard Segrist and my and myself beat Tom Shamalis and Jim Mingus. Oh in, wow! In a beach tournament. Okay, that's, that's my that's, that's memorable. a memorable win. But that's memorable. But it, it, it doesn't compare to some of the bigger basketball games that, that, that we won, but that's, All right. that's yeah, the, that sticks out. Yeah. Um, first pet. First pet was a, uh, a dog named fella. First car. First car was, was a 1930, Whoa. 36, 37 Chevy that we called uh, the mustache because we took out my, one of my friends in auto shop, took out whatever the front things were and then painted it. Covered it over and looked like it had a mustache. <laughs> All right. Favorite sports team as a kid? The Brooklyn Dodgers. Nickname as a kid? Butch. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. Favorite board game? Now or? Sure. Now. My favorite board game now would be, um, um, oh, what's the name of the game? Tina and I, we play it all the time. Uh, I think it's called Secret Agent. Okay. Oh no! It's code names. It's called yeah, code names. I remember that they had that at the no, code spy names. museum. Code names. Um, favorite main dish? Oh, hamburger meat over mashed potatoes and gravy. That's solid. Your kids used to die for my mom's That's... meatloaf pie. They would come over. They would say, "Hey, um, should we go play football at your house?" No, I've got to have. I've got to have gravy. I can't oh, have it dry. So I love. <laughs> I love a good shepherd's pie, but hamburger meat over mashed potatoes. Uh, favorite dessert? Which I get for my birthday every year. <laughs> Chocolate cream pie. Okay. Homemade, homemade. I know you're a movie buff. Favorite movie? Of all time? I'm sure. The Godfather. Mm-hmm. Favorite musical group? Venice. <laughs> all right. <laughs> there, that's for, they finally got on the board. That's good. <laughs> favorite author? My favorite author would be... Oh, gosh, not Nicholas. Um, Ian Fleming. Favorite uh, professional athlete? All time. Jerry West. Nice. Um, I think we already know where you met your wife. Frat yep. party. Uh, frat party. No, frat open bar. house. Frat open house. And uh, this is funny because I asked everybody, and how about your first date? Was was first date was when uh, she was Our first date was, beers? The first date was the day we went to jail. <laughs> wow. It's good times. Uh, you have a favorite quote? I do, actually. Uh, my favorite quote is, wasted time is wasted life. Mm. And sleeping is a waste of time. <laughs> <laughs> it's 
Hmm. Santa's heard that somewhere before. Um, name all 12 of your grandchildren, youngest to oldest. I'm just joking. Oh I can do that. You can? Absolutely. Knock it out. Parker. Mm-hmm. Hayden. Davis. Ella. Um, Emmett. Kate. Um, Emmett, Kate. Oh, J- Jordan. Emmett, Kate, Jordan. Um, I'm trying to do it in, or- in order. Yeah. <laughs> and then, oh, I skipped one. I skipped, um, he's before Emmett. It would be um, Noah. It's 10. And then, and then Quinn, Cece, Sloan, and Sasha. Nice. That was solid. Um, I actually wrote that down. I go. I told my wife Christine. I go. I'm gonna. I'm gonna give this one. Then I'm gonna <laughs> let him off the hook. But you nailed it. Nice. Okay. And then normally we do um, a pop culture quiz on because we're the show of record of 1980s television. Oh. However, I, I did up some some different ones for you. you ready? Good. Good. Pick one of the three. <clears throat> Dragnet, Law and Order, or Murder Ooh, She Wrote. Law and Order. The only one I've, I watched was Dragnet. Nice. I know. I was hoping you'd say that. Best fictional defense lawyer, Perry Mason, Atticus Finch, or Ben Matlock? Wow. I, I would go with um, Atticus Finch because his, the job he did was, was unbelievable. Oh, was Perry funny. Mason did it every week, so I'd go with Atticus. <laughs> Best courtroom movie, 12 Angry Men, To Kill a Mockingbird, or My Cousin Vinny? My Cousin Vinny. That's hoping you choose that. Uh, whose case would you take? And this is the pro athlete murder division. O.J. Simpson, Reuben Carter, who was the uh, middleweight, I think, 1966, or Aaron Hernandez. Ooh. If you had to defend one of the three. Reuben Carter. Yeah, Hurricane. Was... All right. Whose case would you take? Historical division. Joan of Arc, 1431. Here's uh, Heresy. John Brown. 1859, treason, first-degree murder, insurrection, or Jesus, A.D. 30, <laughs> treason, blasphemy. Wow. Um, you know, only because I know the results of all three, I think the easiest one to to get um, either a reversal or an acquittal mm-hmm. would have been Joan of Arc. Mm. So I would take her. Okay, fair enough. I thought it, I just was throwing out the Jesuit no. selection. Okay. No, no, no. I get, there was, he had no chance. Yeah. That was, plus, he wanted that. He, yes, that's so right. Yeah, that makes, uh, makes a big difference. How about uh, whose case would you take in the sports division? All right, the Black Sox, who in 1921, I think, was when the court case came, but I think it was 1919 or 18. 1919. 1919. Uh, they were charged with fixing. Um, although they got off, some of the players got banned. All right, that's one. Ali versus the United States military which it was a refusal to step forward. I think that was 67. Or Kurt Flood versus Major League Baseball, which was a reserve clause of 1970. I'd rather have a fourth one. I'd rather take Pete Rose's case against, oh, against, tell uh, me about against it. Major League Baseball. I'd like to hear about that, actually. All right. Uh, I, but with the three you gave me, I would take the, the um, what was the first one? Uh, the Black Sox. I'd take Shoeless Joe Jackson. Mm-hmm. He got punished, and he didn't try to throw the games. That's right. And he's one of the greatest players yeah, ever. One of the great World game. Series ever. Yep. yep. Mm-hmm. Um, my feeling about Pete Rose is that, and this comes from you know being a gambler myself, um, I think the ban against against him 
I think his punishment doesn't fit the crime. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think he's been punished enough. And had he bet one dollar on one of his games, mm-hmm. then I would have said the ban for life is sufficient. But because his betting was on baseball, based on his knowledge, uh, which which by the way, the, the hypocrisy of some of the rules that come down, uh, the rulings that come down from Major League Baseball and other sports. Uh, you can bet on any baseball game you want to bet on. You go to Las Vegas, you can bet on any game you want to bet on. It's legal in the state of Nevada. Mm-hmm. Uh, but because he was a manager, baseball looked upon this as bad for the game, going back to the... But he wasn't talking to anybody to get inside information. He was using his skills as a manager to bet. So I think that he should have been punished. Yeah, They should have kept him out for a number of time, but he was one of the best players ever to play the game. He, yeah, he, he deserves he deserves this place in the Hall of Fame. Um, if we had a Hall of Fame, we'd induct you in. Thank you. And um, thank you. I do want to thank you for always being a great um, model for me. I uh, always respected you. And, um, and in particular, you know, when I was young, taking me around to those games really opened my eyes to what I could maybe do for a living. And, and so I appreciate that. The good news, the good news for me is I got myself into a family that that uh, is never a dull moment. There's always they do come they come to me a lot with issues and problems and and um, uh, I I actually welcome that and I would never turn anyone away and and uh, it's the most incredible family. You know, I come from a family of two, yeah. and when I, my first in, in, involvement in to this family, I'll never forget when I went to her house. Uh, 13 children. I'm sitting in the front room waiting for her to go out on a date. Her father was ironing in his shorts, his underwear. <laughs> He's ironing on an ironing board. And in my household, I mean, my mother did everything. Right? <laughs> she ironed my handkerchiefs. <laughs> she, she ironed socks. Oh, my god! I mean, it was unbelievable. And I'm watching this, and then I'm seeing her mother in the kitchen on the phone with Marky grabbing grabbing her skirts, crying, ah, and she's talking to somebody on the phone, and Virginia's yelling, where's my slip? Barbara, where did you put my slip? And Barbara's yelling back, I don't have your slip. And I'm going, what is, this is the most chaotic place I've ever been into. But once I became uh, part of the family, uh, it, it's, it was amazing how much love mm-hmm. and compassion this family, and look, who was it that said that he, without fault, throw the first uh, stone? It's the guy you didn't get off the. Yeah, I didn't get him off the. That guy you didn't get him off the wrap. But I can tell you that that um, this family, uh, the love and the compassion this family has uh, for themselves and others uh, is by far one of the greatest things I've ever experienced and lucky to be a part of. Yep. Well, we're lucky to have you. I, I, I'd vote you in the Family Hall of Fame. Thank too. you. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks, Wayne. All right, you're welcome. Thanks, Wayne. All righty. Now it's time for an installment of As Time Goes By, where we get to know Carlos Haro Jr. of Casablanca Restaurant in Venice one minute at a time. Now let's play it again with Carlos Jr. And um, one more trivia question about the mascot of the show. So, can you tell me what the full name of Buck is, the official dog of Sports Stories? 
Uh, no, Mr. Buck? I'll give you a hint. Um, it had to do with the Los Angeles Lakers during the Showtime era uh-huh. and uh, the name that Pat Riley um, assigned to Magic. So you put it all together, you could get it. Oh, my God. He lives with us, so his last name's Lennon. So, <laughs> no, I didn't know. He goes by Buck Magic Lennon. Oh, back in Buck, Buck Magic, Magic Lennon. Lennon. And the reason uh, is because uh, Pat Riley wanted Magic Johnson to get a little bit tougher, uh-huh. so he started calling him Buck instead of Magic all the time. And so that's why we call Buck as much because he also has a similar disposition of being very nice. Oh, okay. So we should tough him up. Yeah, just a security dog reason. That's good. Yep. Okay. All right. Sports Stories with Denny Lennon is supported by the AAU. Find a local event and join at aausports.org. And remember, you can catch your favorite amateur sports live stream, replays, and highlights at ballertv.com. Sports Stories, along with East Bay, supports the Heroes Movement, a nonprofit that bridges the gap from mental or physical therapy to getting strong again through strength and conditioning workouts. This free service is available for any veteran of the United States Armed Forces. Visit heroesmovementusa.org for more information. Sports Stories, along with thousands of people across the country, also supports the My Stuff Bags Foundation a nonprofit that provides traumatized children with new belongings and new hope. Learn more at mystuffbags.org. Sports Stories with Denny Lennon is a production of Sports Stories, Inc. and is available on Apple Podcasts and YouTube or wherever you listen and watch. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and give us a review. It really helps spread the word. You can find all our social media links, archives, and other info on our website at sportsstoriespodcast.com. Special thanks to the John R. Wooden Course and Wooden's Wisdom. Original music for Sports Stories is courtesy of Lennon Music Productions. Original images by Sienna Lennon Photography. Sports Stories is produced by Christine Jimbo and Marley Rice. Sports Stories is edited by Bob McCall. Additional staff include Ray Castro, Teresa Dolan, Jake Downey, Carlos Haro, and Buck Magic Lennon. Lonely days are gone, I'm coming home. Sports Stories is on at five. Well, I don't care how much money I gotta spend. Got to watch Sports Stories again. Lonely days are gone, I'm coming home. Sports Stories is live at five on YouTube. Sports Stories with Denny Lennon. Catch it at 5 on YouTube. Check it out, book.